Well, I hope pray for us and receive encouragement yourself and receive Israel My Glory magazine and be kept up to date on our ministry as we continue to, uh, Lord willing, develop and build more and more means of communicating and uh, outreach and teaching that we'll be sharing with churches and with supporters and with all friends who uh, are part of our contact list. So it's great to be with you today and to have the opportunity to be with you all through uh, the Lord's Day through tonight and hopefully get to know you during that time and you get to see and know us and uh, certainly appreciate the opportunity and we can officially say greetings and shalom from the Friends of Israel Gospel Ministry that we represent and trust you'll uh, grow to know more about and, and, and love and appreciate as we share it with you. So we are in this morning, uh, these two hours, thinking about the supernatural origin of Israel. I'm going to maybe do things a little differently this morning and speak right down here on the floor with you. I like to do that, and especially because this is a PowerPoint-based message, and so I'll be turning back and referring and pointing to the screen. So I hope that's uh, you're comfortable with that, and it's great to... Uh, to be with you today. And where did Pastor go? Let's see. Did he walk out? Oh, what time do we usually end? Usually, what time is it now? It's quarter after 11. We won't go past 2 o'clock. I promise that. No, what time is it? Just before noon. Just before noon. Okay, great. Wonderful. And we're having that fellowship tonight. I'm really looking forward to that now after what I heard uh, about it. I don't know what that all means, but I, it sounds great. Okay. So we're thinking about the supernatural origin of Israel. The fact that Israel is divinely created for God's purposes by his power. It's different than any other nation. It's completely unique in all the history of the world. And we saw the background being laid for that in the book of Genesis in the first hour. And I invite you to turn back with me to Genesis chapter 9, where we see... God uh, commissioning the world, if you will, repeating the creation mandate um, that he had given to Adam and Eve in Genesis 1. We know God created the world through one man, Adam, and that world became so utterly demonically corrupt that it required a, a, an event unique in all of history. God promised it will never happen again, which is the worldwide what? flood, to cleanse the earth and renew the world and sort of recommission the world as God does here in Genesis 9 verse 1. God blessed Noah and his sons and said unto them, be fruitful and multiply and replenish the earth, fill the earth, spread and subdue the earth, take dominion over the earth. The creation mandate, the Genesis mandate repeated, reiterated, reemphasized here to Noah and his descendants and uh, thereby to all creation. This is not Israel at this point, of course. This is Noah. And uh, he and his family are all that uh, are left in the world now after the flood. They are carrying uh, all humanity within their beings. All of us uh, who exist uh, ever since have come through, through them now, initially from Adam, now through Noah and his family. And God commands uh, mankind to spread and subdue the earth. He places, as we just talked about, we didn't uh, read the verse in the last hour, verse 2, he places the fear of man upon the animal kingdom, uh, modifying the curse, and uh, of course also promising there will not be another worldwide flood and these things so that the world is is, uh, going to be in condition that we can have stability for God to launch a program like the nation of Israel and later the church age. We ended on that note in the last hour. Now if we come to chapter 10 of the book of Genesis, we see this chapter is referred to as the table of nations. It gives us a listing of the nations of the world as they begin to develop, as people spread out in accord with God's command, And we have the development of what we would call ethnic groups. I don't use the word racial races or racial types because that's not a biblical concept. Because how many races of men are there? Only one. God is made of one blood. All the 
peoples and nations of the world. There's only one race, there aren't different races, and no one is superior to anyone else or inferior to anyone else. But there are different ethnic groups, people groups that develop in history uh, as genetic... um, uh, I'm not a scientist, okay, but as as the genes... um, that pass through humanity and particular traits become dominant in particular groups. That's what I'm trying to say. Genetic traits become dominant in specific areas among the people that live there. And so we as a biblical creationists, as biblicists, we have really the only uh, viable understanding of how we see the development of the various people, ethnic groups, and that's been beautifully uh, described by creation scientists much more eloquently than I can. Again, that's not my area at all. But biblically, we understand that's what's going to happen, and that's what has happened. So we have this table of nations, of these ethnic groups, these people groups that develop in chapter 10. And we find all mankind ultimately obeyed God's recommissioning of the world. Genesis chapter 10 Verse 18, we won't read all the names of the chapter, but we find uh, Genesis 10, verse 18, the families of the Canaanites spread abroad. And we find uh, in verse 25, there was even this man named Peleg. Uh, Maybe you want to name your dog that someday, I don't know. Um, In his days was the earth divided. So we have this tremendous division happening. And the last... uh, Verse of the chapter tells us about the families of the sons of Noah after their generations in their nations. By these were the nations divided in the earth after the flood. So it looks like God gave this command, spread out, fill, subdue the earth, and immediately mankind obeyed. Universally spread out and filled the earth. Is that what happened? No, that's not what happened because we know the next chapter gives us what? The Tower of Babel. You say, wait a minute, what's happening here? Well, I believe that we're seeing a a technique used by Moses, the author, which is not even new here in Genesis. He's used it in chapter 1 and 2 as he describes the events of creation. It's what we might call a a, a flashback. He's he's giving us a, a summary in chapter 10 of what ultimately happens, and he does it in such a stupendous fashion to cause to arrest our uh, thought process, cause us to stop and say, wait a minute, like we just did, collectively. What's happening here? How did these people spread abroad through the world? How did this happen? How was the earth divided? How, how did this occur in history? Oh, the answer is in the next chapter, chapter 11. The Bible does this all the time, particularly many times in the Old Testament, in the Hebrew mind and, and writing style. We have this idea of a, of, uh, a flashback for emphasis and uh, further detail that is provided once our system has been shocked into the reality of what is ultimately going to happen. And then we have the writer come back and give us details that fill in how it happened. And that's what we see in chapter 10, the table of nations, which actually follows logically, chap- or chronologically, chapter 11. <laughs> chapter 11 comes before chapter 10. It's, what, it's how the earth was divided that we haven't heard yet as we read chapter 10. What happened? The whole earth was of one language and of one speech. And it came to pass as they journeyed from the east that they found a plain in the land of Shinar and they dwelt there. And they said to one another, Go to, let us make brick and burn them thoroughly. And they had brick for stone, and slime had they for mortar. And they said, Go to, let us build us a city and a tower, a ziggurat, not a ladder to physically reach heaven, but a, uh, a monument that represented pagan thought, and bringing heaven down to earth, if you will, and representing it physically in the building of this structure. And notice what they said. Let us make us a what? A name. 
the top will reach heaven and it will cause us to have a name. This is all of mankind united in rebellion against God now in the post-flood world. Let's build this monument to humanity, to this world system that we will establish here, and it will make a name for us. Lest we be scattered. Notice, lest we be scattered. Lest we be forced to obey the command of God that had obviously been handed down. Lest we be scattered abroad upon the face of the whole earth. And verse 5 says, The Lord came down to see the city and the tower which the children of men built it. Don't you think God has a sense of humor for us in that verse? Psalm 113 verse 6 says he has to humble himself just to see the heavens and the earth. Sort of like a scientist hunkering down over a microscope. Is there something down there that I can see? How far do you think God has to come down to reach all the way down to see earth within the heavens and then all the way down to finally see this tiny little tower? Right. That's the, that's the, the picture that is being painted for us here. But God never judges without investigation. Did you know that? He is a completely fair and perfect judge. And so he comes to investigate the tower. And the Lord said, Behold, the people is one, and they have all one language. And this they begin to do, and now nothing will be restrained from them which they have imagined to do. Go to, let us go down, and there confound their language, that they may not understand one another's speech. So the Lord scattered them abroad from thence upon the face of all the earth, and they left off to build the city. Therefore is the name of it called Babel. Because the Lord did there confound the language of all the earth, and from thence did the Lord scatter them abroad upon the face of all the earth. And so mankind now is forced to obey the post-flood Commission that God had gave the creation mandate, spread, fill, uh, reproduce, and fill the earth and have dominion over it, if you will. And the people um, go out to various parts of the earth according to these supernaturally imposed languages, which are the basis of all the languages of the world since that time to this day, that God uh, creates in them, for them, for this time, And they separate according to these languages, and we have within those groups marriage and reproduction and, uh, again, the idea of genetic traits that become dominant within those groups and pronounced within those groups, all of which, uh, capability of all of which existed in Noah and his family, of course, and ultimately back in Adam and Eve. And we're all of one blood, we're all of one race, but these various people groups develop all throughout the world. But there's still a problem. All of these groups now fill the world, in chapter 10 lists them all, as they go out and separate and fill the world. But there is none righteous among them. There is no no one of these groups that God can use to build a kingdom. Man has attempted to build a kingdom and make a name for himself. But none of these specific groups that splintered from that world system at Babel are of God specifically or rooted in belief in God. They all were still united as Babylonian in heart and mind. They are all pagan in their philosophy, their religion, their worldview, their outlook on life. There is none through which God can work. So, man having failed in his attempt to bring a kingdom to this world through his own ingenuity, God will now create a nation. As is described in Isaiah 43, where we began this morning, through which he can create and bring his kingdom to earth according to his purposes. He will create a new nation through which he can work. 
He will create a new people, not by creating another Adam out of the dust of the ground. He will take a man from among the people, but he will do a work within the heart of that man and create from that man a new nation. And so just as he created all of humanity through one man, Adam, so now he will create all of a nation through which he will work through one man that we know as what? Abraham. His name at this point is Avram. Abram. And let me assure you at this point, if you don't believe me, you can turn to Joshua 24, that at the point we meet him, he is a pagan. He is a Babylonian, if you will. Joshua rehearsing the history of the people here in Joshua 24, verse 2, says, Thus saith the Lord God of Israel, Your fathers dwelt on the other side of the flood, that's the river, the Euphrates River, in old time, even Terah, the father of Abraham and the father of Nahor, and they served what? Other gods. They were idolaters. They were false religionists. They were pagans. They were Babylonians. Verse 3, I took your father Abraham from the other side of the flood, the river, and led him throughout all the land of Canaan and multiplied his seed and gave him Isaac. Abram was, there was nothing righteous in him. No good thing dwelt within him other than what God would put within him as he makes him now the father of a new nation. He calls him and he is going to create through Abram. Just as he created through Adam, the world of men, now he will create through Abram a nation, a new nation, through which he can work, through which God can bring his kingdom to the earth, ultimately, through the seed of Abram. And we find as we compare Genesis 11, beginning in verse 27, with Stephen's rehearsal of the history of Israel in Acts 7, that God actually appeared to Abram, First of all, in Ur of the Chaldees, where he lived. And then he's going to appear to him again a second time. So notice verse 27 of chapter 11. It says, These are the generations of Terah. Terah begat Abram, Nahor, and Haran. And Haran begat Lot. And Haran died before his father Terah in the land of his nativity in Ur of the Chaldees. And Abram and Nahor took them wives. The name of Abram's wife was what? Sarai, and the name of Nahor's wife Milcah, the name of the daughter of Haran, Haran, the father of Milcah and the father of Iscah. But Sarai was barren, she had no child. That's going to be a big part of the story, isn't it? And Terah took Abram, his son, and Lot, the son of Haran, his son's son, and Sarai, his daughter-in-law, his son Avram's wife, and they went forth with them from Ur of the Chaldees. Why did they go? Because God, Acts 7 tells us, had initially appeared to Abram in Ur and given him the calling that we're going to see repeated in chapter 12. And they begin, they, by faith, they begin and obey and leave their homeland. And then they're going to hear from the Lord God again. They went forth with them from Ur of the Chaldees to go into the land of Canaan. And they came unto Haran and dwelt there. And there they obviously named that place after Haran, Haran, who had died, verse 28, during this time. And they dwell there. And the days of Terah were 205 years. And Terah died in Haran. So Abram's father Terah is going to die there at this point. And here we have now God coming to Abram and recommissioning, recalling him, giving him the same covenant that he had given him once before earlier in Ur. He is going to repeat now here in Haran and call Abram to finish the journey and come into the promised land. And he is going to give him what we call the Abrahamic covenant in Genesis 12, 1 through 3. The Lord had said unto Abram, Get thee out of thy country and from thy kindred and from thy father's house unto a what? A land. 
that I will show thee. That's the first clause of the Abrahamic covenant. God is going to give this man a land. And I will make of thee a great, what? Nation. That's the second clause. He's going to give him posterity, descendants, a seed. He is going to give him children. In fact, an entire nation will spring from him. Now, how likely was that at this time for Abram and Sarai? Not very likely, because according to verse 4, Abram is how old at this point? 75. And if you remember your history, Sarai is how old? 65. And even though closer at this time to the dawn of history, uh, the genetic impact of sin not yet uh, running rampant as it has now in our time, people still lived longer. Notice Terah had lived 205 years. It wasn't yet a 70-year life expectancy like we have had now for hundreds of years. But it was still to the point at this time that at 75 and 65, there was little to no expectation of having children, naturally, physically. And again, they had how many children at this time? None. But God said, you will have a whole nation that will come from you. This is the second clause of the covenant. And notice verse 2, I will bless thee and make thy name great and thou shalt be a blessing. A land, a seed, and a blessing. The three aspects of the covenant. This covenant, is the, this covenant is the basis of all of God's work in the world since the time it was given. It's the backbone or the skeleton of history. Or we could say it's a, it gives us a paradigm for understanding all of the rest of the Bible and therefore all of the rest of history. It is repeated, reiterated, reemphasized all throughout the life of Abram and throughout the lives of Isaac and Jacob and their descendants. And all through the book of Genesis, all through the Pentateuch, all through the Old Testament. In fact, it's the basis for all of the other unconditional, like this, covenants that God gives the people of Israel. It, the first clause... The land clause is the basis. It's, it's expanded in the land covenant of Deuteronomy 30. The second clause, the seed clause, is expanded in the Davidic covenant of 2 Samuel 7. The third clause, the blessing clause, is expanded in the new covenant of Jeremiah 31. And so this covenant is the basis of all these other unconditional, like this covenant, covenants that God gives Israel. And so the Abrahamic covenant gives us a basis for understanding all of God's work, not only in Israel, but really in all the history of the world from this point forward. And again, this blessed footnote at the end of verse 3 includes even you and I. Because it says, not because we are Jewish if we're not, and I am not, my wife is not, many of you are not, I'm sure. Not that we become Jewish or even spiritually become Jewish somehow when we believe in Christ. But notice this covenant makes provision for blessing for who? The entire world. In these shall all families of the earth be blessed. And Paul quotes this as we saw in the last hour in Galatians 3 verse 8. And he expands on this in the whole chapter. And... Uh, he ends that chapter, verse 29, saying, If ye be Christ, then are ye Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise. And I have uh, on the screen a note from the Ryrie Study Bible in Galatians 3, one of them that says, Being in Christ makes the believer a seed of Abraham and heir of the promise of justification by faith. Now let me say uh, two things here at this point. First of all, this would be a good time just to stop and say that if you have never become such a believer in Christ and thus a seed of Abraham through the promise of justification by faith, you can believe 
and be saved right now in during the, in the middle of this message you can believe that Jesus Christ the ultimate seed of Abraham who is the eternal son of God who became also man which we just celebrated last month in Christmas of course came to this world to be the Messiah of Israel and the Savior of the world. And he died on the cross in your place for your sins so that you could have the forgiveness of sin and eternal life in heaven with him. If you will trust in him alone, by faith alone, without any works that you can perform, that you can be saved by grace alone and received his gift of eternal life. And, you, and that, is the, that is the definition of justification by faith alone. And I, I trust that is your personal hope today. And if it not, it can be even immediately right now. And that would be the greatest fruit that could come out of our time together for you today. If that is your need today. Now, let me also add, I'm showing a note from the Ryrie Study Bible. There, there are several great study Bibles and one of the classics is the Ryrie Study Bible, which I'm holding in my hands today. And I make uh, use—I often make use of quotes from study Bibles for a couple of reasons. Uh, one is they, by nature, if they're a good uh, study Bible and a good note, it gives us a succinct little way of saying something that helps us understand. So it's a great thing to put up on the screen in a slide. But it also gives you something to go home because we're covering. Uh, too many passages today to say that we're looking at any of them comprehensively. So my challenge is to you to go home and take what we have studied this morning and build on it. And one way that you can do that well is through a good study Bible like the Ryrie Study Bible. And go back to the chapters and read all the chapters, all the verses we're not covering. And read the notes and think upon these things. Meditate upon them. And see if these things are so according to the scriptures that we're introducing here today. That's another uh, reason to use a study Bible quotes. And there's a third reason in this message that if you come back tonight, you'll see, because we're going to go back to the world's first study Bible tonight, and we're going to see how it introduced some ideas into the bloodstream of the church back at the end of the 16th century in the most amazing way regarding the fact that God still has a future for Israel. And so we'll get a little touch of church history uh, by way of an important study Bible that may be something brand new to you that I hope you'll come back and hear about tonight. So I hope that what's your appetite for that. So Galatians chapter 3 gives us this exposition of the footnote, if we can call it that, of the Abrahamic covenant, the end of verse 3. That in you all the nations of the world will be blessed. I hope that you can say, as was mentioned in the last hour, after we're done today, I hope that uh, this should be uh, another main point that flows from our time together. That the, the thought of your heart would be to say, thank God for Israel. Because if it weren't for Israel, you and I wouldn't be here today. We would have no hope. We would have no salvation at all. We're saved out of the abundant salvation that God promised and provided through Abram and to Israel. We're blessed in believing Abraham, and we become the seed of Abraham by faith, by justification, through justification by faith. Well, that's Galatians chapter 3. For sake of time, we're going to focus on uh, Genesis for the rest of this morning. Genesis, go back to Genesis 12, but we just see here how... This covenant that we're considering now, it, it makes national promises to Israel. Those are the, the land clause and the seed clause and the blessing clause, but it also has this concept of a universal aspect of blessing to the entire world, as we've seen at the end of chapter, of verse 3. But now this covenant uh, does something else for us. Um, and I'm just going to see... Well, we'll just leave it on, uh, on this uh, last slide for now before we come to that next quote. This covenant um, has one other provision in it that we've skipped over until now. 
It's at the beginning of verse 3. Have you noticed we haven't read that yet? God says to Abram, in showing the enforcement or the power or the magnitude of this covenant that he is giving to Abram, he describes it in a way that absolutely explodes off the page to us when he says, I will bless them that bless thee and curse him that curseth thee. Now what you may not realize actually in the original Hebrew that Moses recorded describing God's words in the call of Abram by inspiration writing Moses used two different words that are each translated here curse in verse 3. And literally the force of what he said is this. I will bless them that bless thee. But the one who underestimates you, him I will curse. You come after Israel, you even think of misrepresenting the nature of this divinely created nation and you will be destroyed. God will come after you. By the way, who are a people that are going to get a taste of that uh, down the road in the book of Exodus? Well, in the book of Exodus, the people of Egypt. At the institution of what we call the, the Passover, the tenth plague. Right? And God says to, to uh, Egypt, I'm going to come after your, what? Your firstborn, because Israel is my firstborn. You take Israel lightly, and you will be destroyed. That's the message. That's the caveat God gives with the Abrahamic Covenant. We've talked this morning about Crystal Knock, November 9 and 10 of 1938, which was the immediate event that, that uh, brought about the formation of what is now called the Friends of Israel Gospel Ministry. And men like uh, Dr. Harry Ironside, pastor of the Moody Church in Chicago, and Dr. Louis Berry Chafer, the co-founder of Dallas Seminary, were among those who uh, came together in the, those early times and formed the Friends of Israel, then Refugee and Relief Committee. And who could have thought in November of 1938, when Adolf Hitler was attempting to remake and reorder the nations of the world and establish a thousand-year Reich and uh, take world dominion and begin by conquering all the nations of Europe that began to fall. Um, and, and as he had within this plan of restoring the purity of the German nation and the German people, that, that required the extermination of the European Jewish people who had lived in Europe for, in some cases, for centuries. And yet, uh, he, he thought that was crucial to the fulfillment of his desire for the reestablishment of the nations according to his own plan. And who could have imagined then that in just seven years... Hitler would be dead. His incredible armies destroyed. His nation in tatters. But the Jewish people on their way to return to their homeland. In a way that uh, evidenced something that has never happened before in the history of the world. That a people will be dispersed into 150 countries for almost 2,000 years, but be neither annihilated nor assimilated, but retain their language, culture, religion, heritage, and desire to return to the land. And they go back to Jerusalem and life begins again. An independent nation is formed in May of 1948. 
Who could have imagined these things? World War I, God prepared the land for the people. World War II, he prepared the, the people for the land, and he brought them back, and that'll be our theme tonight. You mistreat or underestimate the Jewish people, and you will be destroyed. Not them, but you. That is the covenant God makes with Abram. Now, turn with me in the last minutes that we have left to Genesis 15. This is uh, one of those uh, uh, wonderful reiterations of this covenant. Repeat, uh, repeat of the covenant that God has made with Abram. After these things, the word of the Lord came unto Abram in a vision, saying, Fear not, Abram, I am thy shield and thy exceeding great reward. And Abram said, Lord God, what wilt thou give me, seeing I go childless? And the steward of my house is this Eliezer of Damascus. And Abram said, Behold, to me thou hast given no seed, and lo, one born in my house is mine heir. And behold, the word of the Lord came unto him, saying, This shall not be thine heir, but he that shall come forth out of thine own bowels shall be thine heir. And he brought him forth abroad and said, Look now toward the heaven and tell the stars, if thou be able to number them. And he said unto him, So shall thy seed be. Look up. And see the stars. How many like to look up at night and see the stars? Okay. Do we have any stargazers here? I mean, really serious. You have a telescope and the equipment and the whole deal. Anybody like that here? Okay, last. Sometimes some people raise their hand if I ask that question. I'm not one of you if you are, but I appreciate the stars. Aren't they a wonderful testimony to the power of God? Genesis 1.16 tells us. That on that fourth day of creation, God looking across the heavens just made the stars what? Also. Trillions of stars splashed across the heavens in an instant to show forth the magnitude of the power of God. And those stars are used in important ways, beginning here in Genesis 15. Isn't it interesting, in the New Covenant passage in Jeremiah 31, God references the stars. If, you're, if the stars ever stop shining, there will be no more Israel. You know, it talks about and here God says your, your, your descendants are going to be like the stars. And we have this great high point of faith. Abraham, the father of the faithful. Verse 6, he believed in the Lord and he counted to him for righteousness. And Paul uses that as the great example of justification by faith. The basis of the whole book of Romans teaching on faith alone. And he said unto him, verse 7, I am the Lord that brought thee out of Ur of the Chaldees to give thee this land to inherit now, before you get too excited about Abram personally, this great father of the faith, is he perfect, by the way, or sinless, or blameless? Or Look what he says in response to verse 8. He said, Lord God, whereby shall I know that I will inherit it? Sounds like his faith was pretty weak at times, doesn't it? So we can learn and be encouraged through that as well. We could develop that thought further, couldn't we? But here's what's going to happen. God is answering him, and he said, Take me an heifer of three years old, and a she-goat of three years old, and a ram of three years old, and a turtle dove, and a young pigeon. And he took unto him all these and divided them in the midst. I know it's getting close to lunch, folks, but we can handle this, can't we? Okay, he divided them, laid each piece one against another, but the birds divided he not. And when the fowls came down upon the carcasses, Abram drove them away. So what's happening here? God is going to re renew this covenant, if you will, with Abram. Whoops, I have the laser pointed on here. How did I do that? Okay, hope I didn't show that at anyone there. I <laughs> didn't mean to. All right, how does this, what is God going to do? By passing alone, that's what God is going to do. He's going to pass between these parts of these animals. See, this is the way in the Old Testament, in the Hebrew mind, that you establish a covenant. Now, when we do something like this today, what do we do? We go when you make a when you make a commitment, a covenant to, with someone, uh, like signing for a mortgage, for instance. You go down to the bank and you they hand you all these stack of papers and you sign and sign and sign and you're sitting in some dusty room filled with books and records and 
Wouldn't you like to go back and do it the way they did it back here? Isn't this much more picturesque and interesting? How many would like to go back to this? Just, wouldn't this be just so refreshing? What do you do? You cut these animals in half, and you create this aisle um, of, through these animal parts. Okay? And what are you going to do? You're going to take your, your partner that you're making this covenant with and walk arm in arm down this aisle. And what are you literally saying? If I violate the covenant, may God what? May God do to me as we have done to these animals. Cut them in half. But who's going to walk down the aisle here between the animal parts? It's going to be God alone. Notice what happens. Genesis 15 Verse 12, when the sun was going down, a deep sleep fell upon Abram, and lo, and horror of great darkness fell upon him. And he said unto Abram, Know of a surety that thy seed shall be a stranger in a land that is not theirs. Let's go ahead to verse um, 17. When it came to pass, when the sun went down, and it was dark, behold, a smoking furnace and a burning lamp passed between those pieces. This representation of the Lord God, who humbles himself, condescends to show us, as it were, himself passing through these animal parts alone. By passing alone between the animals, God swore fidelity to his promises and placed the obligation for their fulfillment on who? Himself alone. It's not dependent on Abram. It's dependent only on on the Lord God. Did you notice something there in the course of reading about that? Who fell into a deep sleep? Who had previously fallen into a deep sleep earlier in Genesis? Adam. Same Hebrew words used. What did Adam receive while he was sleeping? A wife. What did Abram receive while he is sleeping? A nation. He is like Adam before. He is this one man now through whom God will create, in this case, the whole nation. You see that? This is a chart of the biblical dispensations, which obviously we'll not be going through right now. We'll pick up here tonight. But it shows us the fact that God has a plan for history where we began this morning. He is unfolding that plan. He is working it according to the counsel of his own will. It includes the nation of Israel with which he has made a covenant that can never be broken. That God will fulfill. God still has a future for Israel. His promises will all be fulfilled. His prophecies will all be fulfilled. But right now, Israel, is she mostly believing or unbelieving? Unbelieving. But where we begin tonight, we'll see in Romans 11, that this current state of unbelief in which Israel finds herself is partial and temporary. Those are the two key words, partial and temporary. One day she will return entirely and permanently in faith. God still has a future for Israel. In the meantime, he is working through the church. During this church age. If you're a believer in Christ according to the gospel that I described a few moments ago, you are, as I said earlier this morning, you are a churchman. You are a church person. You find your entire identity in Jesus Christ and being in the body of Christ during this church age. It's my privilege to be a church ministries representative for the friends of Israel. What an amazing time in which we live, isn't it? In which God has allowed us to live. How many are thankful you didn't live in the 14th century at the height of the Black Plague? Okay. But you're alive today as we enter the third decade of the 21st century and Israel has been in the land for what? More than 70 years. 
And we are alive to see incredible things at this strategic time in the closing days, I believe, of the church age. And God is calling us to have an impact in this world that he's placed us into. He's placed you here for a reason. And he tells us in his word, as we understand on the basis of the things we've considered this morning, which we'll flesh out this evening, that God still has a future for Israel, and we have a gospel that comes from the Jews and goes back to the Jew, what? First. And he's calling us to have an impact in that way, as well as many others, but always keeping that in the forefront of our minds. And I'll leave you with that today and with this final reminder to say out of all that we've studied today, I hope that now it flows from your tongue that we ought to say what? Thank God for Israel. For apart from the blessings he has given to her, we would have no blessings at all. Father, thank you for this time we've had together today. I pray that you'll use it to bring glory to yourself and to encourage each one here and to increase our faith by the hearing of this word that we have looked into this morning, for we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. What a breath of fresh air. Thank you so much, Brother Paul. And again, I was just thinking about how we were dealing with the spiritual gifts and how God has supplied for the church evangelists, of course, and pastors and teachers and so on. And it's evident and obvious of his gift of teaching. Amen. Uh, I feel like uh, we're okay this morning um, without giving an invitation. Normally I do at church. If you're dealing with anything concerning your heart, as far as salvation is concerned, talk to one of us. We're ready to show you from the scriptures. I'd like to invite you back tonight, not only at 6, but also 5 o'clock. I'll show you from the scriptures how you can show somebody how they can be saved. But I'll tell you, I'm not a political person as far as putting a, putting a, a, a sign in my yard and stuff. But I'll tell you what, whether you like him or not, uh, Donald Trump has really given the, the Jewish people and has really blessed Israel. And, and if you go over there in the streets, you'll see that Donald Trump uh, has been a blessing to them. But, but God is not only going to bless the Trump family, believe it or not, he'll bless you in America for it. And uh, you personally have that choice and that opportunity uh, not to undermine God's history uh, and, and really rejoice with Israel and, and give toward them. Uh, that, that is just a huge blessing. I, I know it's, a, it's a, maybe political with you, but I'm so thankful for what this president uh, is doing, regardless of the bombardment of hatred toward him. He still keeps his eyes on what he needs to do. And uh, we live in a strange time. But you just saw uh, God's panorama. I, what I want to do this morning is I'm going to refrain from taking an offering for Brother Paul. This is the end of the month for our, for our building program, so we need to keep with that. Like we said, we'll take up an offering tonight uh, for Brother Paul. We have also set aside some finances for him. But I would like to take up our, our building program uh, offering at this time. If the, you get the men ready, and uh, if you could go ahead and come at this time, if you would, fellas. Let's pray. Father, we're so thankful for an opportunity to give to you. You've been so good to us, Lord, and you know the need here. Uh, it's all over. There's needs everywhere. But Lord, there is a need here for us to be able to get uh, some of the people that can't walk very well downstairs. We desire to get the Spanish-speaking people their own chapel downstairs. And we just need these things, Father. And we pray that you'd give. Uh, this may be small today, but Lord, I pray that you would increase it. Uh, and I pray that we would continue to prosper in the area of our building program. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.
Brother Ted, why don't you make your way up here? Ted, if you could pray for Jeanette, she fell at work. Is that right? Yeah, and so she needs our prayers. And again, we kind of have all of these different needs at our church. We could just have a full-time pastor helping us with these people. Uh, there's so many that just need a touching hand. And, you know, I walked over when I was at the Hits this last week. Um, you, Juanita made, made a, a sweet potato pie. How many like that? Raise your hand, sweet potato pie. But you got to say it right. Sweet potato pie. Would you like a piece of that? I said, you bet I would go along my coffee. you got to have that. I'm a diabetic, but I enjoyed that. Because I thought the rapture was going to take place before Brother Paul spoke this morning. So that's why I ate the pie. But anyway, uh, we had a great time together. But I walked over and put my hand on Brother, on brother Jim, and I, I, he's just skin and bone. He is just so thin. Um, pray for him today. We've got so, much to, so many people to pray for, but... Uh, some of our congregation are getting closer and closer to see a Jesus, seeing Jesus. We, we never know when we're going to go. But our, our congregation is getting older, and we need to pray for one another. Um, and that in mind, keep Jeanette also in your prayers. Brother Ted, why don't you come on up here? Brother Ted's been studying. He went through his, his college degree, got his, his degree, and then his undergrad went on to get his master's. He went to Israel, and uh, he, he married a Jewish lady. And so, But Brother Ted, we're just so thankful. Did you enjoy that this morning? Oh, yeah. That was more like refreshing your memory, right, on yeah, things? Uh-huh. Yeah. What a blessing. Why don't you close our service? Let's all stand, and then if you could close our service with a word of prayer. Be back tonight at 5 o'clock. Okay. Let's pray. Father, we want to thank you for uh, the opportunity to be in a country where we can freely praise you for uh, what you've done to uh, for Israel in our lifetime. We can study and, and see how you've moved through mankind's history. We ask that you would continue to bless uh, uh, Friends of Israel ministry, and may you also continue to heal up all the people that are hurting, whether it be the, the Hits or Elena or, or Brother Dave or my wife Jeanette. May you continue to heal them up. They all, there is a purpose somehow. You're trying to teach us all something through this. Give us the strength to, uh, to, and strengthen our faith, Father, through this all. And we ask this in Jesus Christ's name. Amen.